Thank you, Sharon, for reading the Word of God for us. This morning, we are kicking off our series, Only God, in a particularly challenging passage, a text where Jesus kind of presents that we have one of two fathers, right? The Father in heaven, our Heavenly Father, or Satan, the Father of all lies, right? And we see this particularly in a difficult situation where he is confronting some people who at first think they like what he has to say and then are challenged with the difficulty of what he has to say. And so the question before us today is, who is your father? Right? Who, who, is, who is the father that you have put your hope in and your trust in to follow him all the days of your life? This morning, we are kicking off our fall series that we are calling Only Jesus. Now, For those of you who started off 2020 with us, this will be familiar to us a little bit because it's picking up in the Gospel of John where we left off. And our goal is between now and Advent, we want to walk through the remainder of the Gospel of John together and understand something that actually gives, I mean, all of the Bible gives me excitement, but, but the Gospel of John in particular because it's this focused look at the life and purpose of Jesus Christ. And so... Focusing on the life of Jesus for me is of great importance because it helps us, it helps me, and I believe it helps all of God's people to face very difficult and trying times with, with the power of God, with something that is actually powerful to affect us, to change us, to, to carry us through what is a challenging and difficult time. Take, for example, uh, when thinking about the power of the life of Jesus in helping his people to navigate these trying times, take, for example, uh, a song that was sung by, by followers of Jesus who found themselves to be enslaved during the times of slavery here in the United States. There, there's a category of music called Negro spirituals, which were songs that were created and sung by slaves during the time of slavery to help them navigate the, the extreme difficulties through which they lived. And not only did it help them, it didn't just give them encouragement, it, it kept them anchored in their identity as followers of Jesus, their identity as children of God who have been born anew into this new life that Jesus offers. It's hard to keep our minds on those things when we're facing a, a surprise challenge or just facing daily difficulties of, uh, of how life is now different. And particularly, hopefully you're thinking how life has changed even in just this past year, right? It, it, in particular, there's this song that I was reminded of that, that's been covered by Fernando Ortega, Jeremy Camp, and other, other musicians. It's called, Give Me Jesus. And in this song, there are lyrics that that are repeated over and over and over again. And I can only imagine because singing these lyrics help give people the encouragement they long for, but also it's almost like you've got to keep telling yourself this truth to persevere through the muck and the mire and the challenges you face. It has lyrics like this. They sang, In the morning when I rise... Give me Jesus. Does that characterize your heart when you first wake up? <clears throat> it's a little bit convicting. Mine's more like snooze. That's my heart when I first wake up. Snooze, right? Or give me coffee, right? In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. There's another line. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus, right? Or, or you can, uh, when, I'm sorry, when I'm alone... When I am alone, give me Jesus. Or even when I come to die, 
give me Jesus. See, I think what this song reminds me of in its simplicity but in its power is that it's important, it's vital, it's necessary to believe and understand that putting our hope in Jesus, in only Jesus, is the only way to live, is the only way to face this life. I think as followers of Christ, we would all affirm that there is only one way, one truth, one life, and that's found in Jesus. But as followers of Christ, it doesn't just depict the path that we walk. It characterizes the the posture of our hearts, that we would make it our focus that it's only Jesus who's our hope. Right? There's nothing in this world that offers us hope, the true hope that we long for, that Jesus alone can offer us. See, in the Gospel of John, he tells us point blank this very truth. He tells us that the, in his in, in kind of characterizing the purpose from which he wrote the gospel, he wrote it so that we would believe in Jesus and have life. To be clear, he's not just talking about a, a, a life that, that, that it kind of is characterized by beating hearts and breathing lungs. And he's not just characterizing a life that, that refers to an enduring, eternal, lasting life. He's talking about a quality of life that we have both now and in eternity. A life that is peaceful, satisfying, fulfilling, all found in the life of Jesus. John says this in John chapter 20. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. His purpose in writing the gospel about Jesus was so that his his readers would believe and come to believe that Jesus was more than just a man. He was more than just a rabbi. He was more than just a teacher. He was the Son of God. He was the Christ, the Christos, the, the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for that God had promised long ago to save them, to redeem them, to bring them back into a relationship with God. He was not just this Savior, he was God himself. And this life that, that's presented to them would, would be a life for the present and for the future, and it would be a reality on a spiritual level that rooted the people of God to walk by faith, to abide in God, and to persevere through some challenging times. I think, you know, if we could could pay attention to something, it would be to pay attention of the value of what it means to, to believe in Jesus. So the question remains, what do you believe about this life, the life that Jesus offers us? Do we believe, as we think about our life on this side of heaven, that we have reason to have hope in this life? So I think the Gospel of John would say, yes, we do have reason for hope. But, but John would also say that this hope is only found in only Jesus. So I think we all believe in someone or something as we think about the, the nature, the character, the, the kind of summary of what's going on in our world today and, and how uh, the problems of this world will be addressed. For some of us, the search for hope goes no, long, no further than ourselves because we can't trust others to do what we know is right. We have a difficult time putting our hope in someone else to, to fix what we see is broken. For others, our hope is in a, a politician or a political party. They'll get the job done. For others, we're putting our hope in the next generation. They've got to do it. 
Our, our, our hope is in the next generation to, to do what God has set out to do, to, to be instruments in his hand. But it, what I want to encourage us to consider this morning is not, it, it, what matters most is not just who we believe in, but what we believe about them. John's gospel encourages us not just to believe in Jesus as a person, but to believe that he is who he says he is. This is, was kind of scary for me to read, but there was a study done by the uh, Ligoniers that, that, that was conducted in the beginning parts of 2020. So this is, this is a, a recent study that was done to, to kind of take a pulse of our understanding of theology, our understanding of God here in, in America. And the question was posed to, uh, to the respondents. Um, to, they said, you know, respond to this statement. Do you believe it? Do you not believe it? The statement was this. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Now, when, when, you kind of, when they took all the responses of all of America, uh, over 50% said, he was, yes, he was a great teacher, but he was not God. Not overly surprising, right? That's, that's kind of what we might expect in our day and age. But here's the part that, res- that did surprise me. Because when they, when they filtered that question down to uh, a survey of evangelical believers in Christ, again, the same, same uh, statement was made. Uh, we uh, believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Do you know that it was 30% of believers believe that he was a great teacher, but he was not God? That's, that's a shocking number. That means if we were to apply that to our congregation, one out of every three of us would believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. One out of every three of us would believe that, 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 that Jesus is, isn't actually the Son of God, that, 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 that he's not God himself, that, that he can't actually rescue and redeem us, that he is actually not a source of hope in this world. There's something else that will fix what is broken in this world. Jesus may have a lot of wise things to say to us, but he does not contain within himself the power to fix what is broken in this world. One out of three of us would believe that. One out of three of us don't find our hope in Jesus Christ for this life. One, one out of three, every three of us would believe that Jesus is on par with with great teachers like Charles Spurgeon and Billy Graham or Tim Keller, but it goes no further than that. See, I think what we believe in this life matters. It's it's not just a, a practice in educating our minds about God. The things that we believe about this life matter because they shape not just how we see this world, but how we act and how we engage and and the actions we take, the habits we build and the lives that we lead as a whole. So yes, it it matters what you believe. And in this passage this morning that Sharon read for us in John chapter 8, we're confronted with a situation where the crowd is given uh, this chance to hear from Jesus and they're saying, yeah, Jesus, yeah, go, Jesus. And, And then... When, when they're confronted with the challenge, the difficulty of what he has to say, they, they begin to stumble a little bit. They get caught up in the challenge, the difficulty of what he teaches, and, and they realize that maybe what they believe is not really the truth. <clears throat> Here in chapter 8, Jesus makes a, a pretty bold claim about who he is. Early on in the chapter, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have life. 
the light of life. Now, understand something. When Jesus is teaching the temple, he's not referring to being able to hold up a torch that that brings light into the the temple. He's talking about something bigger, broader, more philosophical, more like the meta-narrative of mankind. He's affirming a truth that was taught in in the beginning of the Gospel of John in chapter 1, where uh, John says this. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, Jesus was making something very clear here. He was making it very clear that the claim of his to his listeners was that he was more than a teacher, he was God himself. He was the source of life. He was the source of hope. If what is broken in this created world is broken, or if the things of this created world are broken, only the one who created it can fix what is broken. And Jesus was saying, I I am that that light, the, the source of life for all mankind. And so as we read through chapter 8 together, you'd see that many of Jesus' listeners that day claimed to believe in him, were excited by his teaching. But here's the thing. The kind of belief that they had was not a very strong belief. Their belief was was more like, um, you know the parable that Jesus teaches about the sower and the seeds, and and he talks about the different kinds of seeds that that are laid down that grow. And, And one of the seeds was a seed that was cast on rocky soil. These listeners were like those seeds because those seeds burst up into life. They were excited about this truth. They were, they were gung-ho. But as soon as the scorching sun of the Middle East came out, those plants quickly withered. They, they didn't last through the difficulty of the reality that they were brought up into. And so the believers that day were, were much like this. They, they were excited about what Jesus had to say, until the difficulty of the passage came to fruition for them, until they were confronted with the fullness of what the the truth was that was being proclaimed to them that day. In verse 30 of of chapter 8, John records this of of Jesus' interaction. He says, uh, in verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, Jesus' listeners took, took an issue with one word in that, free. Like most of us would say, man, I, I want to be free. I want to be free from the, the, the struggles, the difficulties, the, the challenges I face, the, the concern for not knowing what, you know, what the future holds. I long to be free. They took issue with it. Why? Because they were a people who were proud of their heritage. They, they, they were like, no, pff, we don't have any reason to be free. We're already free. We're not enslaved. We're not in bondage to anyone. And so immediately, what, what had sprouted out as being this, this exciting new faith shriveled up and died because they could not see the truth for what it was. See, they were angry because Jesus characterized them as being a people in bondage. 
He, 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 he challenged their status quo, their, their expectation. Hey, life is going good. I go to church on Sunday morning. We're a part of the people of God. We're, 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 we're children of Abraham. Life is good. Not, you know, we're doing everything right. We're good, right? We don't need to be, we don't need to be challenged. But, but that's a faulty view of what life in Christ is really about, right? Paul describes that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That to me describes not just treading water and saying, hey, life is good, we're good where we're at. It's a life of constant change and transformation. It's a, it's a life of constantly being matured into someone greater, not in our own power, but in the work of Christ in us as we abide in him. And yet his listeners that day... They took issue with Jesus challenging their status quo. No, no, no. Listen, this is the way we've always done it, Jesus. There's nothing wrong with this. They were, they were challenged in, in accepting that, that being all set, you know, they were good to go. They were, they, they were people on, on the right path was not enough. But Jesus instead rebukes them and says, you know what? You think you're not in bondage? All who have sinned are enslaved to sin, Right? That we, we are all in bondage. The reality of mankind, not Christians, but mankind, is we are all enslaved to sin. And that's a real issue. Jesus will get into this in a minute, but, but it's an issue because it, it, it not just challenges us to kind of challenge our status quo, but, but what we realize in that moment, what his, what his listeners realized in that moment, was that they couldn't understand what he was talking about. And it irked them even more. His listeners couldn't hear what Jesus was saying. They couldn't understand the point, the truth that Jesus was making in their life. See, the bondage that, that Jesus claimed, for, or affirmed, declared that we are all under was not a physical bondage, but a spiritual bondage. In their mind, they're thinking, well, listen, we're children of Abraham. We've, we've never been enslaved, which, by the way, uh, they've got their history wrong because the people of Israel were in bondage for over 400 years, right? And yet, they missed the point that Jesus is making, not just because it went over their head. They just couldn't even see it. They didn't have the, the lenses to understand the truth that Jesus was proclaiming in that moment. They had no concept of the reality that was right in front of them the whole time. I know, I know that I've, I've mentioned uh, from time to time that I'm colorblind. Usually it's, I use that as an excuse when one of my outfits doesn't look so good. And, and that's really just, it was personal preference, not the colorblindness that was the problem. But I like to say, oh, it's because I was colorblind, right? I know that I've said it before. But, but here's the thing. Being colorblind does offer its challenges, right? We, 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 as someone who's colorblind, I've lived my whole life not being able to see colors correctly. I see colors, just not the way that God intended them to be seen. I see colors, just not the way he created colors to be, right? I mistake some light greens for yellows and purples for blues and so on and so forth. Somewhere along the way, I realized that, it, that, that it's not just I don't see colors correctly. I don't, I don't see them the way God wants us to see color, right? Right? There's something that was blocking my ability, my physical ability to see the truth of what colors are right in front of me. Until one day a friend gave me a gift. And I know I've told this story before, but it was these sunglasses that have these, these corrective lenses on that when you put the sunglasses on, you actually get to see colors 
the way they're intended to be seen. I, I, I mean, every person sees the color spectrum of Roy G. Biv with three wavelengths that cover the entire uh, wave, um, color spectrum. Uh, or one of my my wavelengths actually overlaps with another, so I'm not seeing a third of that color spectrum. But when I put these glasses on, I see the entire color spectrum, and I see it correctly. And what that means, uh, when I I first put the glasses on, I could see the color of my son's eyes the way God intended me to see his eyes for the very first time in my life. There was this moment of revelation for me where I could look in Alex's eyes. That's, uh, that was, he, he was the one that came up to me. And I realized, oh my word, Lord, this is how you want me to see my son. I can see it for what it, I can see truth. See, what, what Jesus' listeners struggled to understand is that, that they were blind. They were blind to their bondage towards sin. They thought, you know what, we're, we're good. We're better than those people. We're, we're, we're children of Abraham. We got all these things going for us. We're good. There's not an issue. We're not in bondage to anyone. And so they, they could not see or understand what Jesus was declaring to them. In John 8, 43, Jesus explains, Why do you not understand what I say? He says, it's because you cannot hear you cannot bear to hear my word. So I think the ESV can be a little misleading here because when I read you cannot bear to hear my word, I'm tempted to understand this more as, as a message that I can't handle emotionally. You know, it's almost like you can't bear to watch someone embarrass themselves. Like when they walk out of a, a bathroom and they've got toilet paper stuck to the bottom of their shoe and you're just like, oh, I have to look away. I can't watch this, right? It's that moment that you think, well, oh, I just can't bear to deal with this. But, but I don't think that that's actually what, what, is, what is being said here because when Jesus says you cannot bear to hear my word, I think the NIV actually gets it more accurately. The NIV translates this, this verse as saying you are unable to hear what I say. Right? We're, we're incapable of hearing what Jesus has to say. Why? It's not because we've got too much wax in our ears. Or it's not because I need, I, I've got to get my lenses corrected and, and so I can see better. It's because there's actually a blindness that's going on inside my soul and a blindness that's caused by my bondage to sin. In this sense, no matter how hard Jesus' listeners might try in their own effort, they cannot hear or understand the truth that Jesus is proclaiming to them that day. Truth and freedom are not things we have the ability to understand until we have met Jesus and experienced the spiritual rebirth that he affects in us. Only then can we truly see the world for what it is and experience the freedom of living into this life that he invites us into so that when all these circumstances in our world are going on, we are still free. We still know the truth We still know that God is working in our world and in our circumstances, and he is not done, and we can continue to abide with him and to walk with him and trust in him even when the difficulties of life are stacking up. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus meant in John chapter 3 when he met with Nicodemus, one of the... the, the, uh, Pharisees, the teachers, 
Um, and, and, you know, Nicodemus comes to him in the night and he says, you know, Rabbi, I know you're a great teacher. And Jesus kind of gets into this conversation with him about, uh, well, how do you know what is good and, and, and less, you know, that's made known to you. And specifically in verse 3, Jesus tells him that unless one is born again, which is really this idea of being born from above, born of the Holy Spirit, born of God, one cannot see the kingdom of God, right? We can't see the reality of Jesus, the, the reality of the dynamics of the kingdom of God at work in our world unless we have been born from above, unless we have put our faith in Jesus, we trust in him and trust that he has transformed us from dead to life, that we have been a, made a new creation and we are walking with him in faith. But for Jesus' listeners, they struggle with that. They assume they were never in bondage. They, there's, they, they don't see the chains. They don't see the, 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 the slavery that they're under. They were children of Abraham. But see, being a, a physical descendant of Abraham is not going to cut it. That's like saying I'm a Christian because my parents were Christians and, and they raised me in a Christian household or because I went to church growing up or, or because I'm a good person or because I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a better person than, than the person next to me. You know, that, that's like a theology that comes to surviving a, a bear attack, right? Because when a, when a bear is chasing you down, the only thing that matters is that you're faster than the person next to you, right? As Christians, you know, it doesn't matter that we're better than the person next to us. It matters that we've surrendered our life to Jesus and trust that he's the, he alone can save us, right? It's not our heritage or our own effort to be good. It's because we've been born into the faith by the Spirit of God and have continued in the faith. We've continued to abide with Jesus, as he says here in chapter 8. See, I think this is why Jesus tells them uh, again later on in verse 47 of our passage, whoever is of God hears the words of God. Reflecting back to John chapter 3, whoever has been born again, whoever has been born above can see the kingdom of God. So the question is, how does one become of God and, and be able to understand the truth and live in the freedom of the life that we have in God? Well, I would, I would encourage us to flip our, the pages of our Bible back to John chapter 1. Because there in, in the early verses of, of the Gospel of John, John clearly invites us to be of God. He, he says in verse 12 of chapter 1, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, the Logos, the, the Word, the one who was there in the beginning, the, the one we know as Jesus, for those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's not the will of our flesh or what family we were born into. It's the will of God that, that, will, that all who believe in the word, all who believe in that, that logos, the, the word in the beginning, that, that through whom all things were created, the, the, the will of God is that all who would believe in, God, in, in the word, who is the light of men, would become of God. That's our transformation. We become of the family of God. We would see things clearly. We lose sight of this, though, in the midst of things, which is why we need to remind ourselves, what is it that I believe in this world? 
A, a theologian by the name of Merrill Tenney puts it like this. He says, I don't understand God and the things of God so that I might believe. I believe in order that I might understand. Believing in Jesus is like putting on those lenses that you can see truth for what it is. There is a spiritual work that has to happen in our hearts and our lives from our innermost being so that we can see and understand the truths of Jesus correctly and live into the life that he gives us. You know, as Christians living in the age of information, more information is not going to it's not going to help us. We've got all the information we need right here. But as Jesus will declare later on in John 16, as we believe in the light of the world, as we believe in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God will take up residence in us, and he will guide us into the truth. Right? It's not your responsibility to figure out, to understand God apart from God's help. You cannot do it. It is the Spirit of God who guides you into the Word, who guides you into our theology, our doctrines of understanding God and seeing the truth clearly so that we might have hope in the midst of the, 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 the different circumstances and challenges we face. And see, I think that moment, that moment where the Spirit of God takes up residence in your life because you have put your faith in Jesus, that moment of new birth, of rebirth, will be such a moment of celebration. See, my favorite time of celebration is when I get home each day. Usually when I walk in the door, if the, t- if the TV's not on, I get bombarded by the kiddos and the dog, and they all come running up to me. Usually, oh, and Tara. <laughs> she, Tara just raised her hand in the back and said she does too. Uh, yeah, usually it's Marley, the dog, that gets to me first because he's aggressive and he's fast and... and and I welcome it, right? It's my favorite time of day to experience this, this celebration, especially after you have a long day, right? I mean, you love that moment where you come inside and, and you just, and there's just this moment of, ah, you can set down the things of your day and just enjoy this moment of celebration, right? But God, God is, is inviting us to, to celebrate the fact that we have this moment of celebration, this truth that's given to us, where we enter into this new life, where we, we set aside these false presuppositions about how we've been living our life, and we trust that it's only in Jesus. Not just that so we understand what's going on in our world, but we can see him at work in our life to give us hope to endure, to persevere. In John eight forty two, Jesus declares, I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own, but he sent me. Now, that might sound like Jesus saying, yeah, I'm here. But, but in the statement, Jesus uses a particular Greek word, hecho. And with this word, hecho, he, he's communicating much more than just, I'm here. It's like, voila, I have arrived. It's this moment of celebration. It's a moment of celebration that if we're not careful, we will miss because we're paying too much attention to the difficulties of the world around us. But we have this moment where where we walk into the room and and, and Jesus says, voila, I have arrived. I'm home. But here's the difference. The difference is it's not us walking into the house after a long day of being tired and upset and saying, voila, I've arrived. It's Jesus who walks into your life and says, voila, I have arrived. 
Do you want to know how to navigate the difficulties of today? Run to Jesus. Embrace him. Get to know him. He wants to tell you all about himself. Right? Run to him. Believe that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And let his spirit guide you into a greater truth and a greater freedom that you can, than you could ever experience apart from him. Church, it matters what we believe in this world. It matters because what we believe we will invest in. We will invest in getting to know Jesus better. Not just reading stories about his life, but seeking to know him in prayer and in solitude with Jesus. Go for a walk with him today. Go for a drive with him today. Spend time. Let him know the desires of your heart. And then listen. Because he has given you his spirit who will guide you into all truth. And in that truth, you will find his freedom. Freedom to face this world with abandon, with, with, with power and excitement and anticipation of what God will do. Church, trust in only Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for sending us your son. Lord, I pray that we would not, that we would not be quick to move past the celebration of even things like Christmas because it's this beautiful day of celebrating the birth of a child in a manger, but we would, we would recognize it as a moment of celebration where we can run to Jesus because Jesus has declared, I am here. Help our hearts to, to focus on that today, Lord. To, to run to Jesus, whether we are disappointed or, or thrilled with what's going on in our lives. Lord, may we, may we run to Jesus and trust that in that place we will find truth, the, the ability to actually see truth and that freedom that comes with it. Thank you so much for sending your son Jesus. Apart from him, we would not know you, God. But we thank you that we can know you in the life of only Jesus. Amen.